It's the next level. The legend first appeared in 1890. Candyman was the son of a slave. His father had amassed a considerable fortune from designing a device for the mass producing of shoes after the Civil War. Candyman had been sent to all the best schools and had grown up in polite society. He had a prodigious talent as an artist and was much sought after when it came to the documenting of one's wealth and position in society in a portrait. Well, it was in this latter capacity that he was commissioned by a wealthy landowner to capture his daughter's virginal beauty. Well, of course, they fell deeply in love and she became pregnant. <laughs> Poor candy man. Father executed a terrible revenge. He paid a pack of brutal hooligans to do the deed. They chased Candyman through the town to Cabrini Green, where they proceeded to saw off his right hand with a rusty blade. And no one came to his aid. But this was just the beginning of his ordeal. Nearby, there was an apiary, dozens of hives filled with hungry bees. They smashed the hives and stole the honeycomb and smeared it over his prone, naked body. Candyman was stung to death by the bees. They burned his body on a giant pyre and then scattered his ashes over Cabrini Green. discretion is advised all right so here's the thing here's a little behind the scenes podcasting secret sort of thing because recording in the summertime can be a real bitch like okay currently right now it's you know the whole canada day independence day thing you know canadians and americans celebrating Ooh, hey yay we broke away from you know England and Italy and everywhere else, and who cares? But anyways, <laughs> I'm not that guy. Anyways, 
With these celebrations comes this need to explode things. We like to put pretty colors in the sky, you know, scare the shit out of every neighborhood dog. I would know. My dog's been terrified for the past, well, let's see, this started uh, Victoria Day (laughs) back in May. Um, For those of you who don't know what Victoria Day is, it comes the weekend before Memorial Day in the United States. But anyways, so... um. Yeah, we like to shoot off fireworks. So if you record at nighttime, you have to compete with that. And sometimes that can be a real bitch. But then, if you go to record during the day, especially on a nice hot summer day that it's, you know, 33 degrees Celsius. For those of you in the United States, it's about like 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, Yeah, like everyone's got to be out there mowing their lawns, which... For a person like me, that screws up my allergies, and then I sound really nasally and congested. So, in other words, what I'm trying to say is, is I'm a fall kind of guy. Yes, I know when the leaves fall off the trees, sometimes my allergies act up a bit, but you know what? It's pretty. Uh, people don't feel the need to make a lot of noise outside, except for the kids running around trick-or-treating, which I'm okay with. <laughs> um yeah, this is just a, a, a fall kind of guy bitching about the summer because can we get like July and August out of the way like soon? Uh, because, you know, September brings football for those of you who care about, you know, sport, go sport. I hate when people say that. It's like so condescending. It's like, shut up. Just because some of us like sports, geez, whatever. Um, you know, at least I'm not watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians, right? Uh so if football comes in September, and then in October, we have like a ton of like awesome movies coming out, um, one of which I'll be talking about in about 30 seconds' time once I finally announce this show. <laughs> you know, let's just get to it. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero, the podcast they just can't keep down. Not that anybody's trying to stop it, but anyways, welcome back to What Lurks Behind, behind podcast, podcast Zero. Zero. I am your host, Postmortem Paul. Okay, so we got that out of the way. So, Halloween Kills. Halloween Kills is coming out, I believe the date for that was October 15th, if I remember correctly. Now, we got the trailer, and it looks like it's a lot of the same uh, from what we saw in the 2018 Halloween movie. You know, uh, Michael Myers is not playing cat and mouse. He's just, you know, on a killing rampage now. Apparently, he's... 40 years in a mental institute and he's lost his mind and not that he ever had it but so apparently we're going with that uh lori and her family are going you know they're gonna the fight to the death and i mean like the trailer so some people have complained that the trailer shows too much um i don't know it's hard to say it's a two and a half minute trailer there is (laughs) they do show a lot but at the same time, from what I've been hearing rumors, like on the internet and whatnot, there's some there's something like 35 kills in this movie. Like, there's gonna be a lot of death, a lot of murder. Michael Myers is on a rampage. Remember, he doesn't do the cat and mouse thing anymore, right? Like, he just walks into people's houses, stabs the fuck out of them, and leaves. Um, so, if we're going based on that, I don't think they're, I, I don't think the trailer is actually showing a lot. I think it's it's leading us to believe that, but. It does open up with the fact that it shows that it's going to be a complete continuation from that last movie, pretty much from that moment on. Like, um, 
it does show that you know Michael Myers does not get burned alive, which that made me laugh because I was seeing people on the internet complaining about, oh, well, it spoiled the beginning of the movie. Um, did you think Michael Myers died? Like, <laughs> I'm I'm confused. If anything in that trailer is should be an obvious point, it's Michael Myers is not dead. So I don't know. I don't get it. Um, some people complained about that. Whatever. But yeah, so it basically shows he survives the fire in the basement and whatnot. And then it shows that he goes on a killing spree again. The interesting thing about this trailer was, much like many other people, the one thing that got me completely hyped about this trailer was the fact that... Okay, in twenty in the 2018 movie, there's a tiny little Easter egg where we saw some kids trick-or-treating and they were wearing the silver shamrock masks. Well, in this trailer, they get, you know, front and center spotlight. Those three masks are, like, right in the trailer. You can't miss them this time. And I'm like, more of this, please? Um, I love... I'm Okay, I I know, and I I did a episode, what, two two Halloweens ago, was it? That I did the episode where I compared basically, well, not compared, but talked about both the 1978 movie and the 2018 movie. And I know the 2018 movie, I I like it. I don't hate I don't hate the movie, but I I don't prefer it. You know what I mean? Like, if anything, give me that original was 1982, 1981 uh, Halloween two. As much as yeah, I know John Com- Carpenter didn't really want. Lori as Michael's sister, whatever. Um, you know, and well, he claims he was drunk when he wrote that. I still like that movie better than the 2018 version. But that being said, the one thing I can say about Blumhouse that I actually really enjoy is the fact that they do allow the silver shamrock masks to be a part of this universe. I know Halloween 3 is the most, probably most debatable and polarizing film of the Halloween series because there's no Michael Myers. Yeah, well, it's a movie that's more based around Halloween than any of the others. But um, I do love that they bring these masks into this movie. Like, so, it, yeah, I, you've seen, you've probably seen that picture on the internet of, like, the Leo DiCaprio thing where he's pointing at the screen, but they put Tom Atkins' face on it, and it's supposed to be he's pointing at the three masks. That was me when I saw this trailer. I was like, <gasps> more of this, please? Um, yes, yeah, so Halloween Kills looks like it's going to be good, but yeah, give me more of the Silver Shamrock masks. So anyways, um, before I jump into the review for this week of episode 98 Candyman. i know i didn't announce that part because i wanted to jump right into the halloween kills trailer thing but yes this week's episode is about Candyman from 1992 but before that um since we last met <laughs> i've been kind of on a movie watching spree and when i say movie watching i'm talking about like new films that have come out i'm gonna be honest with you um I do love that. I know people are like, oh, the pandemic sucks. It's ruined my life. Yeah, well, for those of us who are introverts and don't like going to theaters, <laughs> this has been heaven because I'm able to see a lot of movies like on release date, but I don't have to leave my home. 
I know I'm such a recluse. No, um, no, I the, the whole thing with the theater experience. Don't get me wrong, I do enjoy seeing movies in theaters, but I always find that unless I go to like a matinee showing and I'm like you know one of three people in the theater. It's an annoying experience because there's always someone that's got to talk through the movie. There's always someone who's got to get up and walk in front of you. And maybe I'm just a picky little bastard, but I like being able to see the screen without someone walking in front of it. Like, don't get in my fucking way. Like, I paid money to see this. So, I don't know. I guess the whole being able to see movies at home like when they come out or just like right after has been kind of nice for me. So anyways, one of the movies that I took in most recently was A Quiet Place 2. I finally did see it um, on demand. And I will say it is a nice addition to the story. I was worried about this film. I kind of was. I'm not going to lie. Because sequels sometimes don't always work. And I'm not going to lie. This one works really well. Um, I'm not spoiling anything, by the way. I just kind of wanted to talk about it a bit. The way it ends, it does end somewhat on a cliffhanger. So I'm assuming there's a third part in the works. I'm, I've seen the stories on the internet that say part three's been greenlit. I'm not 100% sure on that part. But the way it ends, there's definitely going to be a third part. I hope it is a full trilogy and we stop. Um, I would like to see that it not go past the part three because then that's when you start getting into the the sequel sucks it's not as good it doesn't hold up and i gotta say like a quiet place two holds up very nicely it was i think that first film was a bit better but this one holds up it's a nice addition to the story and this is the only time you'll probably hear me say this but the quiet place movies both parts one and part two I will say these are the movies that deserve a theatrical viewing because I watched the second one at home. And yes, I mean, like I said, I'm the introvert who prefers the home experience, but I saw the first one in the theaters and I'll tell you the way the sound became part of, like it became its own character. You need that for these movies. And watching the second one at home, yeah, sure, it was all right. I had a snoring dog sitting next to me. Like, he was passed out and snoring and grumbling in his sleep and whatnot. <laughs> so, I mean, there were times when, like, like they're whispering, you know, because obviously they can't talk loud or the, you know, the creatures will find them and kill them and whatnot. So it's like, I kept looking at my dog. I'm like, will you shut up, please? <laughs> It was like, I love my dog, don't get me wrong, but he just wouldn't stop snoring. And it's like, yeah, these are the kinds of movies that deserve the theatrical experience. So I will say, though, I enjoyed it. I, I liked it for what it was. Um, definitely looking forward to part three, should that rumor actually be true, which I, I'm pretty sure Krasinski's going to pound out a third one. He, his first two have been great. Why stop, right? But I get this feeling that there's there's a third part to this and hopefully it's a trilogy and we're done with it. It'll be the perfect trilogy. Moving on to a Netflix film. Okay. So RL Stein, his fear street part one, 1994. Well, not his, but like movies based on his books. So here's the thing. Um, I like it. It was okay. 
Um, not a bad movie. I will say, though, it's not amazing either. Uh, so the whole thing with Beer Street Part 1, uh, 1994... And this is something that we've seen with a lot of movies that supposedly take place in the 80s. And here this one is supposed to take place in the 90s. It, you can definitely feel the, the scream or I know what you did last summer influence on this film. But it doesn't do it as accurately as I would have hoped. Um, Stranger Things, I think, so far to date might be one of the few exceptions to the rule where we say it takes place in another time period and it actually feels like it took place in that time period. Um, I read some guy, some guy wrote online, and I think he kind of nailed it best for this, this movie, uh, was that you have a bunch of Gen Zers as they call them, Gen Z, I don't get it. Anyways, Generation Z kids trying to pretend they're from Generation X, like they're, they're, they're you know, 1990s teenagers. And I feel that's probably the most accurate way to put it. I mean, I, okay, so I got to say, though, the movie is entertaining. I don't want to sound like that I'm knocking it because it is entertaining. You also have to go into this film remembering these stories when they were written by R.L. Stein were geared, you know, towards young readers, you know, young kids, not so much young kids, but like, you know, kids and teenagers. These stories were written towards that target audience. I feel this movie feels the same, even though it's got a rating of R because, well, okay, yes, we drop a few fuck words, big deal. But, um, like the gore itself, yeah, there's some, there's some nice gore, but I mean, it, maybe I'm just that desensitized. I don't know. I didn't feel that this was rated R worthy. It could have gotten, gotten away with the PG-13, just take out the fuck words, but whatever. It is, it is a nice 90s throwback, um. Especially for the music, <laughs> although some people have complained that, you know, it crammed like 1590s songs in the first 15 minutes of the movie. I get that, <laughs> but at the same time, I think people also forget that there was a time back in the 90s, and I call it the last great radio age, in which you could turn the dial on your radio to any station and there was a song you liked. We don't. It, that doesn't happen anymore. Nowadays, there's a, no offense to people that like their music of you know, 2020, but a lot of music that comes out today is trash. It's not good. Um, back in the 90s, like you could turn on a radio and go to any part of the dial, and unless you were a country music fan, which do those exist? Yeah, they do, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> no, but like in terms of hip hop, R and B, alternative as they called it, even though it was the mainstream, basically, um, you could always find a song you liked. And so, I kind of felt like, even though yeah, they crammed a lot. They put like Nine Inch Nails, Bush, Radiohead, Cypress Hill, you know, all these musical references in the first 15 minutes there's even there's a poster of the beastie boys there's a bumper sticker of l7 like yeah okay it was really ham-fisted but at the same time that was the 90s i mean music was a huge part of the 90s so whatever uh 
okay, I'm going to say this. Uh, there is one little blip. Um, certain song gets played in this movie that technically in 1994 wasn't out. <laughs> um, so it, Stranger Things did the same thing when, uh, you know, the first season was supposed to take place in 1983 and they had a song by the Bangles, which came out in 1986. And there was a song by New Order that came out in 1987. So, I mean, whatever, if you really want to be picky. I give points to Maya Hawk in this movie. Her her role in the first 10 minutes of this movie is awesome. She is a kick-ass actress. I can see her going far in Hollywood. And Benjamin Flores Jr., who plays Josh, he's like the know-it-all kid in this movie. Oh, my God. He is so much fun. Total fucking blast. Overall, I'd say the movie is about a six. I'm not going to lie. It's Like I said, it's not bad, but it's not amazing. Uh, it is fun, though, and I'm definitely looking forward to part two, which is coming in like four days. And okay, wow, I'm talking a lot about other movies other than Candyman. But hey, so last night took in two brand new movies, both from 2021. And wow, um, you know, anyone who's saying that new horror is not good is not is just not giving the right movies a chance. I have to say that. So last night... I had been seeing talk about these two movies online. One is a Shutter exclusive and one is an on-demand and in-theaters movie. So I thought, why not? I might as well give them a shot. Well, the first one I watched was a movie called Werewolves Within from 2021. It's based on the Ubisoft and Red Storm uh, virtual reality game uh, for Oculus Rift and PlayStation VR and whatnot. And I got to say, it was a very clever little film. Um... I'd also say that if you're the kind of person that you like to read online reviews by other fans to see if you would like this movie or not, avoid the fan reviews for this one. Because apparently a lot of people didn't know this was based on a VR game. Secondly, I think a lot of people were expecting to get another An American Werewolf in London, or Ginger Snaps, or Howl, or Wolfen, or The Howling. Like Honestly, this is not that kind of movie. Um, this is kind of like Clue or Knives Out. Um, it's a whodunit kind of film, uh, which if you know the game, that's exactly what this is. Um, it's, it's definitely inspired by the game. It's a whole, someone's been killed and we got to figure out who's, who, who done it, who, who did the killing. That's what this movie is. There is a werewolf theme to it but you're not going to get a bunch of werewolves this isn't underworld this isn't you know you you don't have there's not a flock of them all right um the characters so the characters in this movie this is the part i actually really enjoyed is that yes they come off as stereotypical but actually if you think about it it's more tongue-in-cheek jab at what like most people are like online, like social media and whatnot. And I say this because when I was watching this movie, I'm thinking to myself, I think the writer sat back and looked at their social media feed for a couple days and made characters based off of that. Because you got like you've got you let's see, you've got the conspiracy theorist, you've got the you we all have that friend that's on our 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 facebook or our twitter or whatever that is like every social cause they're like a supporter of like i support this with all my heart and they changed their profile picture to it and all this other stuff there's that kind of character there is the 
I know everything about everyone character. You know, there's always, and, and I mean, okay, that's not so much a, a social media thing because we all know the town gossip. But I mean, the way the dialogue comes off, it's like somebody sat there and watched their social media and said, I'm making a character out of you and out of you and out of you. And it, and it just, it works. It's so funny to, like, it's gloriously wonderful, is what I said last night. Like, it's just, it, here's your townsfolk. Um, it works um, in terms of special effects because, okay, like I said, this is not technically a werewolf movie. I mean, it is, but it isn't. It's more a whodunit film. So in terms of special effects, there's not many. But when there is, when you know, when the special effects are called upon, they actually work really well. Um, spoilers, small spoiler. Uh, there's one guy who gets his hand eaten off. Um, that actually, it looks pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> it looks actually pretty cool. Um, the main characters, the two main characters played by Sam Richardson, and I'm going to try to pronounce her last name right, Milana Vaintrib. Uh You'll know Milana, it, for those of you who used to see those old AT&T commercials uh, with Lily, she was the, the the cute girl always selling the, the phones and shit like that. That's who she is. She's in this movie. Uh, she plays the kind of funny she's the male girl and name's not darcy but um she plays the male girl and uh she's also the know-it-all character she knows everybody which i mean i guess in in a small town kind of environment would make sense because you know she gives the mail to everyone and knows everybody's business but um the two of them sam richardson and, Mil- and milana vaintrim really good i mean the, the casting across the board is really good but those two really stand out. Um, if I have any complaints about the film, is that I'd say it's about 15 minutes too long. This could have been easily under 90 minutes and would have worked amazing. There's a few parts where it's like, mm, okay, you're dragging a little, but whatever. And I will say that the ending is predictable if you pay attention to the details. I actually had it figured out about, I'll say, 35 minutes in. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I know how this is going to end. And I ended up, I was right. So, but if you miss tiny little details, it actually will catch you off guard. It, and so other than that, I mean, it's a solid satire because that's what it is. It's it's a horror comedy, solid satire with decent effects. And uh, as I kind of pointed out, you know, subtle yet direct jabs at common society. I don't know. I'd say it's about a 7, 7 out of 10, whatever. But then, finally, before we get into this week's review, I have to talk about this movie called Vicious Fun. Vicious Fun is a Shutter exclusive. It's also a Canadian film that was filmed right in Hamilton, Ontario, which is not far from here. Um, okay, so, like, Werewolves Within, like, I mean, like, I enjoyed that one last night, but when it came to Vicious Fun, I was not expecting to love this fucking movie. This one is a keeper. And much like I said about A Quiet Place 2, where, like, the sequel worked, I really, 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 really hope this movie gets a sequel because the way it ends, I mean, it ends that, okay, if they don't, if, if, 
I believe the the director's name was uh, the writer director's name was Cody Calhoun if I if I remember correctly or Cal Calhan or Calhoun I didn't do my research on this one this the write up for this movie was straight reactionary so I don't have actual details and whatnot so I apologize for that all I know is the movie came from Hamilton I actually knew that going in so I was like oh okay cool let's watch this um. But I mean, I'm going to say this right now. I really do hope this movie gets a sequel because the way it ends, even though if it doesn't get a sequel, it is a perfect full little movie. <laughs> um, I'd love to see what happens next because it's one of those movies where it can either be left up to your imagination and you can, you know, make what you think in your mind would be the perfect sequel or... Who knows? They might actually, you know, come together and make a sequel for this, which would be so fucking awesome. I mean, because, okay, the synopsis of this film is like, you know, you have, and I I believe the kids these days say, I feel attacked. That's the kind of thing that we say online. Anyways, basically, it's a movie about like some like loser, like horror film critic or critic, sorry, um, which I was like, are you talking about me? Like, you know, stupid guy who pretends he's smart. <laughs> it's like, whatever. Um, but he basically, he accidentally like stumbles upon this like support meeting for serial killers. And his night from there goes like ape shit, upside down, batshit crazy. And it's like, hmm, this is, wow. This is kind of, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, um, murder party a little bit but it was different in its own right as well like i mean like the story is not completely original but it's entertaining it's quick paced um at an hour and 40 minutes it didn't feel too long uh nice blend this one has some nice special effects um werewolves within did not have that much special effects there were effects there obviously um but this one goes a little bit more extreme, and there's some nice gore that's mixed with some nice humor. Um, the synthwave soundtrack actually works, even though, I mean, the movie's supposed to take place in the 80s. Yeah, whatever. We do this all the time, you know, this whole throwback to the 80s. Because uh, there's at one point it even says, you know, 1983. Okay. Why 83? That's a, It's a weird year to start at, but whatever. Because um, 82 was the year for horror, man. 82 gave us the thing Uh, enough said but i know the thing was you know underrated and everyone hated it when it came out but great synthwave soundtrack that's you know very obviously not 80s synthwave but it works uh there is over the top acting but again done in a way that makes it enjoyable i mean and the characters in this one okay werewolves within has a great cast this movie has a very likable and fun cast like everybody is just so much fun in this movie this is definitely a worthwhile flick this is one of those that i will be adding to the physical library when it comes out um and i like i said i'm not really the sequel kind of guy but i want a sequel (laughs) that's all i'm gonna say i i don't want to spoil anything more i'm gonna also say that like for this week's lurkers recommendation vicious fun is the movie to watch above fear street above werewolves within please if you have a chance watch vicious fun it is so worth it 
And that's pretty much about it. I will also throw in really quickly. We also got an announcement about a week and a half ago that the last drive-in was renewed for season four on Shutter. Not like there was any doubt. Um, I mean, the way the even the way the finale ended, you know, where Joe Bob was like, you know, him and Darcy were going back to the city. It's like, yeah, we're getting season four. <laughs> so officially confirmed though, season four for the last drive-in. I've talked a lot. Hey, yeah. Um, I should also say, this is quick, quick little, oh, let's look back on what has been Independence Day week and is usually a little anniversary, personal anniversary. July 4th, uh, 2016, I released my first ever podcast. And five years later, I'm still doing it. And five years later, people are still listening. So, yeah, it's um, kind of a cool thing. I've also come a long way. Kind of funny. Um, I've kept every podcast episode I've ever, ever put together. And I still have that very first podcast. And it's painful. <laughs> wow. Um listening to that is it it's like nails on a chalkboard it's it's horrible and i think to myself you know that you guys have even heard like you know several times i open the show and i'm like god i hate fucking intros i just can't get them it's not i've come a long way i'm not gonna lie uh <laughs> when when i listen to those first episodes and i mean we're talking like you know good first 10 15 20 episodes i was not good at this um and I, I know I still do the ums and the likes a lot. That's just me. And I talk like that even in person. So, I mean, it is what it is. But, yeah, looking back, it's... I've come a long way. I've got a long ways to go, though, still to be a lot better at this. But I'm working on it, and it's always fun. So, yeah, five years. I'm more looking forward to uh, about two episodes away. Not only am I going to be reviewing a movie where like it's going to be very hard to criticize because I just love the shit out of the movie. <laughs> I'm going to give you a warning now. It's a 10 out of 10. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> jumping way ahead. But um, episode 100 for this show is a big one for me. So as much as five years of podcasting is, you know, it's a nice benchmark and whatnot. It's not like I was planning on stopping at five years, you know, and I'm not that I'm planning on stopping at 100 episodes either, but 100 episodes is big for me because the last podcast I did, uh, my first podcast, Bats, Bows, and Books podcast, went to 57 episodes and I stopped. And I didn't, I knew I didn't want to do that with this show. And I've managed to continue. And, I mean, continue well into the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. And then now I'm very close to 100 episodes. And I only graze the surface. That's the thing. Like, this this kind of show, with the amount of, you know, horror and science fiction films that are out there, and this could be endless. So, who knows when I finally decide to hang up, you know, hang up uh, the 
the podcast, so to say. I don't know. Uh, you know, retirement of what lurks behind Podcast Zero does not seem anywhere near in the future. So, but episode 100 is going to be the big one. Anyways, episode 98. Stay on target here. Episode 98. Movie from 1992, directed by Bernard Rose, starring one of the greatest. Not only one of the greatest actors, but one of the greatest characters. Oh, this movie's gonna this movie is gonna be fun to talk about. So, trailer timeout, and when we return, we're going to return to a Clive Barker story that was turned into probably one of the best films of 1992. When we come back, Candyman. Back in a splat, kids. Have you ever heard of Candyman? If you look in the mirror and you say his name five times. In cities everywhere. Candyman? They whisper his name. Right. Candyman. It's just a story. Candyman. Candyman. Just a ghost story. Candyman. An entire community starts attributing the daily horrors of their lives to a mythical figure. The legend first appeared in 1890. He was ambushed, mutilated, then attacked by a swarm of bees and burned to death. Poor Candyman. <laughs> Helen, a woman died in there. Leave it. Everyone knows he isn't real. That's modern oral folklore. Everyone. Except Helen Lyle. It ain't safe around here. I don't scare too easy. I know about Ruthie Jane. They ain't never gonna catch him. Who? Candyman. Who is that? I came for you. Do I know you? Now she is about to discover what's behind the mystery. You're sick. What's behind the legend? Listen, he's under the bed! And most terrifying of all... Come with me. What's behind the mirror? He's here. Candyman, you don't have to believe. Just beware. I know there will probably never come a day when, after I play the trailer, I actually get into the review straight head-on without ever straying off onto something else. But, at the time of recording this episode, I should actually say something about this, because this is a pretty big deal. Uh, It's been recently reported, at the age of 91, Richard Donner has passed away. Uh, So yeah, that's that's a big one. Richard Donner, uh, responsible... For working on many films like The Omen, The Goonies, um, the Superman movies, uh, Lost Boys. I mean, Richard Donner, that, that's a name that, like, you might not think you even know who Richard Donner is, but you've seen something he's done. He's, he's done a multitude of work. And, yeah, he passed away at the age of 91. So making the rounds on social media right now. And I felt 
that was worthy of talking about. I had to make mention of it. May he rest in peace, obviously. Uh, I mean, he's done a lot of movies that influenced me when I was a kid and growing up. So, I mean, uh, even to this very day, like I still watch movies like The Lost Boys and Goonies all the time. And The Omen is one. Uh, it's a movie I'll definitely talk about on this show one day. But um, a lot of people always go to The Exorcist as being like one of the greatest like possession movies and whatnot. Sometimes I think The Omen uh, gets overlooked and it really shouldn't because, I mean, granted, I know it's not technically an underrated film, but I find that a lot of times a lot of people go straight to The Exorcist in terms of, you know, uh, possession films. Not that, well, I mean, The Omen's a different kind of beast, but you get what I'm saying. Anyways... Moving past that now into Candyman, released October 16th, 1992 in North America, um, written and directed by Bernard Rose. He actually has an acting role in this movie as well. He plays the character of Archie Walsh. Um, He's worked on other films uh, such as like Anna Karenina, and he also did a movie in 2015, um, Frankenstein. That starred Carrie Ann Moss and Danny Houston. Um, and also, he had a role as a fake shump in Army of Darkness. That I did not know. I was, I was not aware of that. But I did know about the Frankenstein movie. I haven't seen it yet, but apparently I've, I've heard pretty good things about it. So I guess it's an interesting take on the story whatnot. Now, the story of Candyman is based on a Clive Barker's story, so technically writing writing credits also need to go to Clive Barker. Um, from his book of Books of Blood series, as a matter of fact, this was from Volume 5, and the other stories that were in Volume 5 were The Madonna, uh, Babel's Children, and In the Flesh. But this, this story comes from um, The Forbidden, which was by Clive Barker. Uh, little bit of differences obviously uh there's a couple i'll highlight throughout the review but um candyman was based off of that that story um other stories that came from the books of blood series uh midnight meat train that's a really good one actually um then there's rawhead racks which is always one of those cult classic favorites um and then there was the story the last illusion which actually inspired the movie uh, lord of illusions which that's a good one too. So I mean, those books of blood, uh, books of blood series did uh, give us a few really good movies. Ah, uh, the movie of Candyman was uh, produced by Steve Golan, Alan Poole, and I'm going to try and say this name, but you guys know me with my horrible pronunciations. Sigurjon Sigvatsen. I think I'm saying that right, but I'm probably not. <laughs> uh, it was also the movie was also executive produced by Clive Barker as well. Uh, cinematography by Anthony B. Richmond, who uh, he uh, famously worked on the Let It Be documentary uh, for the Beatles when they uh, they uh, did the performance on what was it on top of Abbey Road, I believe, and um, the Abbey Road Studios, and uh, he worked on that documentary he also worked on the movie uh the man who fell to earth he worked on tales from the hood ravenous and cherry falls 
One of the special effects supervisors for this uh, this movie was Gary J. Tunicliffe. Uh, he's known for a ton of work. He worked on films like Waxwork 2, Lost in Time. Uh, he worked on Feast. That's a good movie. He worked on Blade, the, uh, the first Blade film. He also worked on Feast 2 and 3, I should add. He worked on the, the trilogy of films. Uh, Lord of Illusions, he worked on uh, My Bloody Valentine remake. Wishmaster, Halloween 6, Halloween Resurrection. Uh, he worked on many of the Hellraiser films, which included him being a character in Hellraiser Judgment. Now, yes, I know, Hellraiser Judgment, not really a good movie, but his character of the Auditor, I will say, was one of the few things I actually did like about that film. Um, so, yeah, uh, saw his name in the credits i was like i need to talk about that guy because he he's done a lot of work um i believe waxwork 2 actually was his first uh like his first uh job in film like i believe that's where it all started for him and that's a good one i'll, I'll admit i'm partial to the first waxwork film more <laughs> but that second one is a it's a great little sequel. Again, it seems like this episode, I keep talking about sequels that actually work. And that was another one that was really, really good. The music for this movie was done by Philip Glass. Philip has done some really good stuff. Uh, movies like Hamburger Hill, Dario Argento's The Church. That is a fucked up movie. It's good, but it's kind of fucked up. Um, he also did the music for Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh, Secret Window with Johnny Depp, Taking Lives, uh, Taking Lives is Angelina Jolie, I believe, it's in that movie. Um, he did music for The Illusionist, and the Candyman animated prequel, it was like a three minute animated short uh, for the soon-to-be-released film from Nia DaCosta, which, uh, again, another October release. And I'm actually looking forward to it, you know? Um, I think it's going to be kind of good. I don't know if you guys have seen the trailer for the new Candyman movie, though. Um, I mean, okay, when you're talking about these movies, it's hard not to say Candyman a lot because, I mean, it is the character's name, but that trailer is about two and a half minutes long and it someone wrote online and i couldn't agree more can you imagine playing a drinking game to, the, to this trailer every time they say the name Candyman, take a drink like you'd be drunk in two and a half minutes easily it's funny like i mean i'm not saying it takes away from you know the, the movie or anything like that it's a two and a half minute trailer but it's just it's funny because it's almost every five seconds the name Candyman gets said and it's like well we'll never question what trailer this movie this is you know what, what movie this is for <laughs> it's just pretty funny but um I'm not gonna lie I'm kind of curious I'm kind of curious I, I I'm I should put this out there now I am actually a fan of all three Candyman films. I know, which is blasphemy because a lot of people are like, the sequel sucked. They're horrible. They, there's a reason they were straight to video, you know, because they just weren't that good. Yeah, um, okay. I still love them. <laughs> and so, and knowing that Tony Todd is voicing the Candyman in this new movie, 
We're not sure if he's making an appearance. Um, all we know is he's voicing it, which I'm okay with. I really am. Like, if he's, I would like to see him, but I do understand the reasons why that may not happen. But I will say, I'm I'm excited for the new Candyman film. Okay. Speaking of Tony Todd, why not we just get into the starring cast for this movie? Which is a, a fairly short little list, so it's not horrible. I mean, there's about, let's see, five, six characters that are really the important characters of the movie. And everything else after that is just, you know, it's kind of nice to be there. The thing with Candyman is I don't, it's hard to say who the actual starring role is. Because it's technically two. There's two in this movie. You have Virginia Madsen as Helen Lyle. And you have Tony Todd as Candyman or Daniel Robitaille. Now, Virginia Madsen, she's been in movies like Dune, Zombie High. (coughs) I got to cop this one up. Um, Highlander (coughs) 2. She was also in the movie The Prophecy with Christopher Walken. Um, But she is most well known for her role in Candyman. And then Tony Todd. Well, who's this Tony Todd guy? I've been, I, I can say I was fortunate enough to actually meet him in person. Really awesome dude, by the way. I might add that. But um, I don't know. Tony Todd, maybe uh, Night of the Living Dead, uh, The Crow, Hatchet 2, The Flash. He was Zoom, um, it, it, the TV series, that is. Uh, he also was in that 2015 Frankenstein movie that was directed by Bernard Rose. Um, Tony Todd's a fucking gem. God, we love him. Um, but yeah, so in terms of who the star is in this movie, they both, I, I have to say they're both the, the top lead. Um, moving on to Xander Berkeley as Trevor Lyle. Such an asshole in this movie. Plays it well, though. I mean, I can't take away from him. But how many of you saw Terminator 2? In Terminator 2, I feel he gets his because <laughs> even though I mean a totally different movie, but he played Todd. He was the adoptive parent of uh, John Connor. Gets the blade through the milk carton that goes through his throat, basically, and, you know, takes him out. Yeah, he was he, he was that guy in Terminator 2. Uh, he was also in The Walking Dead. He was in Gattaca. Uh, recently, he was the priest in uh, The Dark and the Wicked, which is a movie uh, reviewed on this show not too long ago. Still say that's a, that's a Shutter exclusive that's worth watching. Dark and the Wicked. Really good flick. Uh, but yeah, Xander Berkeley, Trevor Lyle. I have a little bit more on his character as we go through this, but... Dude knows how to play a good asshole. I'll give him that. He's probably one of the nicest people in you know to actually meet, but it always works out that way, right? Like the nicest people are usually the best assholes on screen. It's like don't know how you do that, but okay. Uh Vanessa Williams, not uh not Vanessa Williams from, you know, ter- uh Arnold Schwarzenegger's eraser. This is a different Vanessa Williams. Um Vanessa Estelle Williams 
as Anne Marie McCoy. Uh, she was in the movie New Jack City. I believe New Jack City was her first film, like first feature film she was in. Uh, in terms of TV, she was a regular on the soap opera Days of Our Lives. She's also going to be in the new Candyman flick coming from Nia DaCosta. Uh, she was also in the Flash TV series as well. Um, she played um, Detective West's uh, first wife. She, she was, uh, yeah. Do I have that right? Yeah, I do. I actually do have that right. She was uh, in the flash, yes. Moving on to Casey Lemons as Bernadette or Bernie uh, Walsh. Um, she was uh, in the movie The Silence of the Lambs, Hard Target, and she, I think this was her first role was in Vampire's Kiss with Nicolas Cage. I think that was the first one she was in. I could be wrong on that, but... Yeah, she was in that movie. Have you ever seen that movie? Listening to this, have you ever seen Vampire's Kiss with Nicolas Cage? I'm not going to lie. As much as I love Nicolas Cage flicks, that one's not so high on my list. I mean, he's not bad, but not... It's not Mandy. <laughs> I'm sorry, but... And I know, like... Well, it's not Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes is still my all-time favorite Nicolas Cage flick, but... Mandy and The Color Out of Space definitely revived that love I have for Nicolas Cage flicks. So those two gems the last couple of years have been just wonderful. But back to Candyman. Moving on with uh, Dewan Guy as Jake. Jake is the little boy in this movie. Uh, he's not a little boy anymore. He's a grown-up man now. But um, he uh, he was also in shows like uh, like on TV, he was he a lot of TV work. I noticed he did, but he's uh, been on Baywatch and Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Uh, he was on In Living Color a couple episodes, and uh, he was also in the kids flick, the movie The Little Giants. But the little uh, Little Giants was the little kid football team. I believe I believe it was football for that one. That wasn't baseball. That was football. I'm not going to lie. I don't think I actually saw that movie. I know. Shame, right? Like, we're supposed... It's a family movie. You're supposed to watch it. Mm, no. Uh, Gilbert Lewis as Detective Frank Valento. And this is really cool. Okay, not so cool. First off, I should say this. He did pass away in 2015. Mm, rest in peace. But the cool thing... Doctor... Uh, doctor. Detective Frank Valento... Gilbert Lewis was also the king of cartoons on Pee-wee's Playhouse in the 80s. If you remember Pee-wee's Playhouse, that was a TV show that annoyed the fuck out of every parent and every kid loved it. <laughs> and uh, Gilbert Lewis was the king of cartoons. He was on uh, frequently, not every episode, but he was on and he always had some like little like three or four minute cartoon that was like batshit weird. You're always like, how, what the fuck it, but it was awesome. It was just so cool. And when I found out he was the king of cartoons, I was like, all right, that's worth mentioning. Uh, moving on to Carolyn Lowry as Stacy. Stacy's our little, uh, our, our college grad mistress, so to speak. She's pulling around with, uh, Trevor there. 
Uh, she's primarily a character actor on TV. She worked in shows like Quantum Leap and Friends. Finally. Not a major role in this film, but a role worth mentioning nonetheless. Ted Raimi, Sam's brother, <laughs> as Billy. Uh, the, the beginning of the, the story when they're talking about, you know, have you ever heard of Candyman? And the girl is, you know, telling the story of, like, you know, how Candyman, when you call his name five times, he comes and he kills you and stuff. And Sam is that, or Sam, um, <laughs> got Sam Raimi on the brain now. Uh, Ted Raimi's character, uh, Billy, is the boyfriend in that backstory and whatnot. Anyways, Ted Raimi shows up in this film for just a brief moment, but we know him from the Evil Dead films, Blood Rage, Intruder, Shocker, Darkman, Maniac Cop 3. Uh, Hard Target, Wishmaster, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. Uh, Spider-Man 2 might be one of the greatest comic book movies ever fucking made. He was in The Grudge. He was in Spider-Man 3. Not such a great comic book movie. It's not a bad movie, just too many, too much going on. Um, he was in The Mid Midnight Meat Train, Drag Me to Hell, and recently was in the uh, Creepshow series that's on Shudder. That season two was supposed to be six episodes. It was only five. If you know the reason why, then you know the reason why. Runtime for the movie is an hour and 39 minutes. It's rated R for violence and gore. And the unrated cut that has been released uh, through Scream Factory and other Blu-ray releases and whatnot, DVD releases... Has very few minor differences from the theatrical cut. A little bit of extra gore added. Uh, primarily the biggest difference. Especially um, when Candyman kills the psychiatrist. The, the killing is a lot more brutal than in the theatrical rated R version. But the unrated cut honestly really doesn't have many differences. I think it's only a difference of like two minutes in the movie. If that... The budget for the film was around eight or nine million, and the gross was twenty-five point eight million. The synopsis for the film, straight off the VHS, goes like this: A children's ghost story comes to terrifying life in the gut-wrenching thriller about a graduate student whose research into modern folklore summons the spirit of the dead. Helen Lyle laughs when she interviews college freshmen about their superstitions. But when she hears about Candyman, a slave spirit with a hook hand who is said to haunt Chicago's notorious Cabrini Green housing project, she thinks she has a new twist for this thesis. Braving the gang-ridden territory to visit the site of a brutal murder, Helen arrogantly assumes Candyman can't really exist until he appears, igniting a string of terrifying, tragic slayings. But the police don't believe in monsters, and they charge Helen with the grisly crimes. And only one person can set her free. Candyman. Alright. So this segment, this is my trivia, review, everything I have to talk about this film. I call this Sweets to the Sweet. Which, if you know your literature, comes from the Shakespeare story of Hamlet. But it's also from this movie. It's what's spray-painted on the wall and whatnot. 
So, here is an interesting tidbit. Think about this. Think about Candyman. You've seen the movie. I hope you have, because if not, I'm spoiling shit. So, you're an idiot to continue listening. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I love my fans. I'm not going to lie. I love the listeners of this show. None of you are idiots. I'm an idiot, but that's, you know, that's totally different topic. Anyways, consider the movie Candyman. You've seen the movie Candyman. You know, gorgeous looking Tony Todd as Candyman and, you know, very attractive, beautiful Virginia Madsen as Helen Lyle. Imagine if this movie had Eddie Murphy playing the role of Candyman and Sandra Bullock for the role of Helen. Because, yes, that was actually considered. Um, I'm glad they went the way they did. I'm not by saying that, I'm not knocking Eddie Murphy or Sandra Bullock. Both are very respectable actors in their own right. But I can't see them in these roles. <laughs> um, maybe Sandra Bullock, maybe. Um, Eddie Murphy, I don't know. Like, he was great in Vampire in Brooklyn. It's not that he can't do horror but i always see eddie murphy as doing horror with a a comic twist Candyman is not that kind of movie so i don't know but yes eddie murphy and sandra bullock like um virginia madsen was the one they wanted to go with but if she wasn't available sandra bullock was the backup and as for eddie murphy he was kind of the idea they had in mind they went with tony todd instead which is interesting because just recently I finally got around to watching the movies that made us the Ghostbusters one. And I found out that the character of Winston Zedmore was also with the idea of Eddie Murphy in mind. And I was unaware of that until recently. So that's kind of cool. Um, in terms of Tony Todd. So Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen uh, both bang, they bang out amazing performances in this film. Tony Todd was stung 26 times <laughs> during the filming of this movie. That sucks. Um, the bees themselves that were used in this film, um, a bee wrangler was on site, and they did use real bees. This is not the age of uh, CGI yet, right? So practical effects means we're going to use practical bees. Luckily for the actors, the bees were only 12 hours old. So they're old enough to look mature. They look like mature bees and whatnot, but they're weak enough that they really can't do much harm, which might have really helped out Virginia Madsen because she um, was severely allergic to bee stings. Um, Well, more so wasps than bees but nonetheless bee stings could have fucked her up (laughs) a little bit however the director bernard rose didn't believe her at first and basically figuring she was just scared you know his whole thing was you're gonna do this because you're just scared and the bees aren't gonna hurt you anyways you're not allergic to them but anyways she got tested and proved him wrong but it also, that's when she discovered she was actually far worse allergic to wasps than bees. So while, I mean, she's allergic to bees, but because they're 12-hour-old bees, their sting really can't do much. 
she did the part. And here's the thing. So, oh, and I might add, Bernard Rose did tell her, he's like, look, there'll be a medic on hand, so you'll be all right. <laughs> anyway, she did the parts. Um, and, like, how they had to do it, like, to, to basically get the bees to be attracted to, you know, Tony Todd, Virginia Madsen, and at one point a toilet, <laughs> they had, like, this pheromone that they had to put on them. So it would keep the bees interested in them as, as basic Virginia Madsen basically explained it as the bees were in love with her um, <laughs> because they thought she was a queen bee. Anyways, how she described the feeling of it was it was like Q-tips, the tips of Q-tips roaming all over her body because like the bees were like kind of like furry feeling and whatnot. But she did say that even though um, it was, you know, it was somewhat creepy and eerie feeling she did feel like a badass doing the scenes um the the hardest part not the hardest part but i guess the longest part of the process was taking the bees off after they filmed the scenes it would take like up to like 45 minutes and she said like you know even the bee wrangler basically told them like with the bees all over you and whatnot you can't freak out because it'll scare them and they will sting you um, so she said, you know, you had to basically be calm while they vacuumed the bees off of her. It was this kind of vacuum thing that didn't hurt the bees, but would remove them from the body and the mouth and whatnot. Tony Todd, though, did get 26 stings. Moving on to the idea of the Candyman. So the idea that was used, you know, in the book and whatnot, um, Based on two urban legends, uh, Bloody Mary, which is a ghost that appears by chanting her name in a mirror. I think Bloody Mary, though, it's only three times, not five times, but I could be wrong on that. And also based on the urban legend of the hook, which is a killer with a hook for a hand who attacks uh, a couple in a parked car. Um, the general public considered Candyman, like a lot of the critics in the general public at the time when the movie first came out, they considered Candyman to be a horror villain. Uh, however, this was not the intention of Bernard Rose. He wanted more of a romantic villain, you know, seductive yet powerful. Uh, kind of like in the way we saw Gary Oldman's portrayal of uh, Count Dracula in Francis Ford Coppola's uh, 1992 movie of Dracula. 1992, good year for horror flicks, apparently. Although, the, like I said, Candyman and Dracula both kind of wanted to go more towards the romantic, you know, drive and less horror. Um, the So here's some kind of cool trivia about this film is that uh, a lot of the exterior, the hallway scenes, the stairway scenes, whatnot, were actually filmed on the Cabrini Green territory the the housing projects in chicago of cabrini green but the producers had to make some deals because in real world real life uh there are cabrini green is known at the time was known to be run by gang members and whatnot so the producers made this deal with them that if you allow us to at least film some shots here just to make this movie very realistic and whatnot, uh, we'll put you in the movie as extras. Um, and, you know, I guess that basically assured them their safety. Um, apparently on the last day of shooting, some, uh, shooting, someone did actually put a bullet through the production van. Um, 
but uh, no one was injured. But yeah, so there was a shooting on the shoot. Um, yeah, bad joke, I know. This movie, though, so here's the thing. So there was some controversy about this film, which is kind of funny because when you hear Bernard Rose's story on it, he's kind of like, what controversy? But so apparently leading into this film, there was some controversy that the film was depicting racism and racial racial stereotypes in a way that you know, Hollywood would not have approved of. Now, according to Bernard Rose, though, you know, he had to go to a bunch of meetings with the NAACP and whatnot because the producers were worried. Oh, my God, this movie's not it's not going to go over well, blah, blah, blah. And Bernard Rose said, basically, when he showed up to the meetings, they'd read over the script and go, why are we even having this meeting? You know, this is just a good, fun movie. It's a horror flick. Um but, I, I mean, at least that's how he felt about it. Some people felt that, you know, um, why shouldn't a black actor be a ghost? Uh, why should a black actor... Uh, why, why shouldn't a black actor play Freddy Krueger or Hannibal Lecter if you're saying that they can't? That's, you know, really perverse. It's a horror film. There was a lot of things that kept floating around at the time this movie was coming out. Um... And the thing is, is like, Smoobie does some really good stuff that I think, had it been done differently, it might not have been as effective. I kind of think it needs to highlight those elements of racism. Because, okay, I, I, I'll explain what I mean. In In the original story, The Forbidden... Candyman was actually a white man or a Caucasian man with an off-color yellow hue to his skin, and he's re he's got red hair, like red beard and whatnot. For the movie, and in order to make this effective, and keeping in mind 1992 and whatnot, Candyman is a man of African color. He's a black man. I might I'm gonna put this in there right now. It might possibly be one of the First true, seriously amazing, awesome, great black horror villains in a horror film because, okay, I love it, but William Marshall's Blackula is just not scary. I mean, it's awesome, but it's it's hammy and it's satirical. You know what I'm saying? This is straight up, I'm going to scare the shit out of you and I'm going to fucking make it work amazing like Tony Todd does a glorious job with this role um, I mean he's larger than life in this and I love him for it I, I absolutely do but I don't think this movie would have stuck as much if they had gone with what the Candyman looked like in the story um, because Tony Todd, like, and like I said, he's larger than life. He has like a very bold presence and whatnot. I, I just can't see this, you know, with some like Irish man or something like that. Like it, it had to be a black man that played the role. And also, especially at a time in the nineties, for those of us that remember it, obviously, um, 
this works very well because they want, like I said, Bernard Rose wanted it as a romance. And especially in the 90s, there was a, a real theme about black men dating white women. There was a certain term that went around. I won't utter on this show, but it was a certain term that got used quite a bit. And I mean, I was a witness to this shit. Like, it, I know. I know what happened in the 90s. Um, you know, Spike Lee, is it Spike Lee did the movie uh, Jungle Fever? Is it Jungle Fever I'm thinking of? There was a movie, aside from this one, but there was a movie about white black relationships and whatnot. And I want to say it was that movie. I could be wrong. <laughs> we all know I'm not great with things that I don't research. So could be wrong, but it seems to me that was the movie. Anyways, this was a, a theme that was going on, especially in the nineties about the whole idea of black men dating white women. And it was, there was a, a, a hint of, not a hint, there definitely was there. Uh, like there was a sense of racism that came with this. Um, so knowing what Bernard Rose wanted to do with this, I think it was, it was a very good way of bringing that kind of storyline to the screen without doing it, with the, without throwing it down our throats. Um, and then you look at the story of like the history of Daniel Robitaille. Here he is, born in the late 1800s, died presumably early 1900s. But how he was brutalized, how they cut his hand off, they put honey all over him so the bees would be attracted to him, stung him to death, murdered him basically, because he was son of a slave who fell in love with a white woman that he was only supposed to paint her portrait, and they ended up they fell in love. She becomes pregnant with his child. Um, I mean, which I believe that was actually talked about in the sequels. I, I'm not really sure it was in this film. But, I mean, his whole origin story, you know, he was, and not to mention he was well-educated, came up in a what they called a polite society and whatnot, you know, became this great talented artist but then because he fell in love with a white woman it was like oh that's horrible you must die for this and i mean this is a th this was a thing like it we live in a world of 2021 where the whole idea of inclusion is really being highlighted on right now but in 1992 it was a it was a different different landscape you know what i mean and this movie very subtly was putting those kinds of social issues into its into its storytelling without I think this is why so many people are getting frustrated with movies today is that it's so obvious you just you're slamming it down our throats we're in in movies like this Candyman, when you thought of the movie Candyman, you thought of a killer with a hook. You didn't think about all the social issues that were brought up in this film. Um, I mean, another and obviously a very sad element, but something that's quietly put into this film that points out something really big is when Helen is talking with Bernie about the attack she was victim to in Cabrini Green. And she states how like a mur the murder of Ruthie Jean somewhat got you know swept under the rug because a black woman died in Cabrini Green. But when a white woman, Helen Lyle, is attacked, all of a sudden the authorities jump all over it. They're aiming to get the killer and we're gonna we're gonna 
put him in the slammer and this and like how it was so different. And unfortunately, these are sadly still as some of these themes are still quite accurate in the world today. Um, I know we, we we're we're trying to live in a world where we want to change, but it just seems history always repeats itself over and over. And these are things that may never change. We hope we we hope they do, but it may never change. And I love that this movie in its own subtle way was not afraid to take shots at society for that. It's it's shitty. I mean, and but you got to think about it. The racist element that is in this film was believable in 1992. You can watch this movie today in 2021 and it's still believable. It's almost a timeless movie. Um but then on a not so serious, you know, point of the film, you know, on terms of, in terms of the entertainment level, the movie works really well too. I mean, all right, I'm going to say it, it loses points. I know. Oh my God. I'm criticizing something in this movie, but you killed a dog off screen, but still, I don't want to see a Rottweiler head. That's been taken off of a body. I know it's all fake. Don't worry. I'm not that upset. But still, you kill the dog. You hearing me right now? You do not kill a dog in a movie. It's blasphemy. Kill all the humans you want. I don't care. (laughs) Do not kill a dog. Um, So yeah, it loses points for that. But I mean, I get it. And it's very effective. The special effects, I might add, really good in this movie. Some good gore. Like I did, I mentioned earlier about the psych, the psychiatrist that gets the hook through his back and he's basically ripped in half. It's not as graphic as I'm making it sound, but I mean, it's still pretty graphic. But yeah, the dog, uh, that as much as it breaks my heart, was some great special effects. Um, You got Xander Berkeley's character, Trevor. I mentioned him. What a fucking asshole. I mean... And the the whole movie, like, it, this is kind of another element that just plays into this, where you, it it's such a tragic story, because you feel bad for Helen, because, you know, here she is, like, Trevor, her husband, the man she loves, Mr. I want to fuck one of my students because I think I'm bored with my wife, and now that she's messed up in this weird urban legend story she's hunting, I might think she's crazy, too. Yeah, that guy, he's never around to help her out. You know, I mean, she's practically begging for him. That scene when she's, like, in prison and she's, you know, wearing, like, the prison getup and she's on the phone and she's like, Trevor, please pick up. Trevor, please pick up. And you feel bad for her because you know damn well she's not the one committing the murders, but she's getting blamed for it. Um, And, yeah, like, I mean, to that point, I mean, shit. In this movie, I think Trevor's name gets called out as many times as Candyman's does. (laughs) Like, it's like... Every at least 10 minutes in this movie, Trevor's name is mentioned in one point, in one way or another. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not going to lie, though. Uh, Xander Berkeley, Virginia Madsen, Tony Todd, uh, all the actors in this film, there's no fucking around. Solid performances from everyone. You know, uh, I mentioned those three. uh, Dewan Guy is Jake. He's so adorable and lovable in this movie. Granted, like I said, he's a grown man now, but at the time, like, he's this cute little kid, and God, he he was just so awesome, and Vanessa Williams was great in this, Casey Lemons, the casting on this, for this movie was pinpoint perfect, you have a wonderful score by Philip Glass, it's very classical, very, 
um, lush and at the same time haunting. Um, Helen's theme is uh, the, the the track Helen's theme that it's very prominent throughout the film. For me, it's a Halloween favorite. Like I include it in all my little playlists and whatnot for you know when I have all my horror themes together. It's it's a classic, very iconic theme. Um, I did mention about the whole Halloween thing. Yes, um, Virginia Madsen herself has even said she's most recognized for this film above all else, and she loves that. She loves that people remember her for what she calls a Halloween-type film. So, and, I mean, that's the thing. Like, people love her. People love this movie. Like, And, interestingly enough, fan and critic reactions are pretty much the same across the board. Like, more or less, like, it's critically loved and acclaimed, like, and it's very rare to find a horror fan who doesn't love something about this film, whether whether they relate to the more serious tone of the film in, in terms of the racial tensions and whatnot, or they, they just enjoy the kills, or they enjoy the gore, or they enjoy Tony Todd, like, and I'm fan of all of it like i think this movie is just like just awesome uh through the roof uh because i mean let's just get to it the podcast zero rating for this film is simply this this is one of the best movies both within the horror genre and overall movie spectrum like this this is a film that's in my top 10 um it's not a perfect film i know I know, I'm well aware of it. I mean, unless your job is specifically to tear a movie apart, like Cinema Sins, for example, they they did this movie. Uh, as a matter of fact, I believe it was last October. Um, I, yeah, okay. So it's not a perfect film. It has its quote unquote movie sins, but I mean, the, this movie is also very easy to just enjoy for what it is. It's some great moments of superb acting genuine scares like there's some creepy shit in this movie um the special effects are solid gory and gorgeous as i like to say the scenes with the bees definitely skin crawling um yes i i know i wouldn't be able to sit there and let a bunch of bees just crawl all over me i mean i'm already allergic to bee stings and wasp stings myself so that would scare the shit out of me and I know when I saw this movie for the first time, I couldn't stop feeling itchy. Yes, um, it works on that level for sure. If I was giving Lurker Awards away for this, uh, definitely would have to go to both Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen for their portrayals of Candyman and Helen Lyle, respectively. Lurker Awards, that might be something I have to look into, you know, post-episode 100. <laughs> might start doing that. Hands down, this is uh, one of those, uh, it don't matter what format you have this on, as long as you own it somehow. I personally have it on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray, um, and, I'm, and I say that very proudly. I have the soundtrack as well, very proudly. On all its merits, this movie is easily deserving of a 9 or a 10 bloody hooks out of 10. Um, easily easily 9 out of 10 Uh, I gotta pick one right so I'll give it a 9 simply because there are films a few films a few films that I would put a bit higher but I'm not gonna lie I could easily give this movie a 10 Um, 
and not think twice about it afterwards either. But I'll I'll say it's a nine. It's a, it's a nine. We'll say that. It's a gorgeous flick. It works on many levels. It's socially conscious without slamming it down our throats. And at the same time, if you don't want if if you don't want to look at that side of the film, you can enjoy it for everything else as well. This movie just and based on a Clive Barker story that, you know, Clive Barker is a great name in horror. Maybe not Stephen King height, but he's just like maybe like the notch underneath. There's nothing more I can say. This movie is a almost perfect film. And I am not going to lie. I'm looking forward to the sequel coming out this October. On that note, got to thank you for listening, kids. Got to thank you for coming back. I know this has uh, been a very talky episode. <laughs> a lot of movie reviews, a lot of reflections. Um, again, rest in peace, Richard Donner. But um, yeah, thank you for coming back. Another week, another episode. It's another one in the books. Two away from 100. I'm excited. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna tell you what episode 100 is, and I'm not even. Not even the week before. I'm not gonna. You're just getting it. I'm excited about it. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming back. Where to find the podcast? Find it somewhere. It is on many, many streaming apps now. Amazon, Spotify, Google, Apple, uh, FM Player, Podbean. It's, it's, it is everywhere except YouTube. It's not on YouTube. <laughs> so if you listen to YouTube music, no, it's not on there. But it's pretty it almost every podcast app. It's it's there now. Uh, in terms of social media, Facebook and Instagram. The Twitter account is still there for now, but I'm not going to be using it as much anymore. Primarily Facebook and Instagram are the two I'm going to focus on from this point on out. And do I tell you what the next movie is? Episode 99. One away from 100. Episode 99. I've been spending a lot of time in like the 80s and 90s recently. Um, it was nice to talk about more newer movies at the beginning of this show. I'm going to jump to 2008. For a found footage flick that I actually like. Ah, it does the shaky cam thing and everything. and It can be annoying, but it was a film I didn't think I would like. And I ended up, I kind of did. So I thought, you know what? going to talk about that it's a movie that I've been wanting to talk about on this show for a while too and I've pretty much kept it under the radar too so from J.J. Abrams oh do you know which one I'm talking about now no not the John Goodman one I should talk about that one though but another time from 2008 Cloverfield is the next movie that will be reviewed on this show. So that's that. That's it. It's all done. Story time's over. I know I talked a lot this episode, but it's always interesting. You know, 
I'm like extremely talkative on this show. And yet in real life, I don't say shit. <laughs> I'm very quiet. No, I shouldn't say I'm very quiet, but I'm quieter from a quieter place. Thank God they didn't call the second. Thank God they didn't call the sequel the sequel to A Quiet Place a quieter place. That would have fucking bothered me. Anyways, that's it. I'm out. I'm gonna let Al Pacino just do what he does. He loves saying it to me. Play it again, Al. You need to shut the fuck up. Hey, lick my plate, you dog dick. Hi, I'm a Boglin. Me and my buddies want to be your friend, right, guys? Right. right. Call us at 1-900-909-5464 and hear how we can protect you from ferocious <gasps> And help you teach your grades math test. Yeah, a new story every day. One call gets you a 3D Boglin hologram like this. Four calls get you a set of six. Trade them with your buddies. And part of your $2.35 two-minute call goes to Special Olympics. So get your parents' permission and call us at 1-900-909-5464. Don't get the phone. I said get it, not...